Hello and welcome to The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle Radio. Each week, the sharpest minds and freshest thinkers in finance take you beyond the numbers and hype, right to the heart of the big issues of the day. This week on the show, we're talking about a milestone week for the S&P 500 as it closed above 5,000 points for the first time. The benchmark US index has risen almost 5.5% this year, and that's following a more than 24% rally in 2023. It's doubled since the pandemic-induced low of March 2020 and climbed from four to 5,000 in less than three years. So what does that mean for some of the scenarios that have been laid out for the year ahead? Are US stocks now done pricing in potential good news? And what impact, if any, might investors expect the ongoing general election campaign shaping up in the US to have in the space between now and November? Well, those are some of the questions I'm putting today to Kieran Ganesh, Managing Director and Global Head of Investment Communications in the UBS Global Wealth Management CIO. It's a pleasure to welcome Kieran back to the show. Kieran, always terrific to speak with you. Let's dive in. Your colleague Mark Hayfley has written about this milestone week for the S&P 500. Let's zoom out. Give us the big picture. Why a milestone week? What have we seen? Well, we've seen the S&P 500 hit an index level of 5,000. Now, some of these index levels, it's really just a psychological level. So in some senses, it doesn't mean much. But what it does mean for investors is we have seen a very sharp rally in US equities over the course of the past few months in particular, but generally since COVID. I think if we zoom out, uh, we saw the index was trading uh, just around 3,000 prior to COVID and bottomed at a level close to 2,000 at the peak of the worries during COVID. So since then, it's more than doubled. And really a big contributing factor to that has been excitement around the potential for artificial intelligence to mean substantial profits for some of the largest US tech companies. So 5,000, it's a psychological level that the S&P 500 has reached, but really indicative of very strong performance from US equities. Yeah, and and let's talk about what the actual data tells us. If we look at US economic data, it remains stronger than expected. And I guess that is giving people greater confidence about medium to longer term outcomes and implications. Just give us that context, Kieran, and explain why it's not just something that investors have a feel for. There's also data here, which is quite powerful. Yes, and it's two things. It's economic growth, but it's also earnings growth from those largest companies. So on the economic side of things, the bigger picture context, of course, is that we've had an episode of very high inflation. We've seen interest rates increase quite substantially to try and deal with that inflation. And the widespread expectation was that those high interest rates would lead to a recession because people would cut back spending, businesses would stop investing, businesses may even lay people off in response to high interest rates. In reality, what's happened is that the US economy has stayed very resilient. We've seen strong retail sales growth. We've seen a very strong jobs market. Unemployment has barely increased at all. And the US economy has remained very resilient to higher interest rates. And that's led to optimism that, you know, in fact, we won't get a recession Coupled with the fact that inflation has also been falling, it's really turning into something of a Goldilocks scenario for the US economy. So that's been one big driver behind the rally. Now, the other big driver, of course, is that we've seen very strong earnings growth, and in particular from those large 
technology companies. I mean, just the magnificent seven alone, the seven largest US tech companies now have earnings which are not far short of the entire Japanese equity market. This is quite a remarkable figure. And that earnings are still growing very, very quickly. And because of their exposure to end markets, of course, like smartphones and advertising, which we all know well, but also this new potential profit driver of artificial intelligence, which now they're investing in so heavily. So both on the economic and the earnings side, uh, we've seen lots of fundamental reasons why the equity market has been rising so much. And Kieran, what does this mean in terms of what the base case is for you and your colleagues? Because obviously we spend quite a lot of time throughout 2023, you know, looking ahead, medium to longer term. I guess the base case is still for that soft landing for the US economy, which we've spoken about. And maybe with what the S&P 500 ending this year, maybe around these levels. But there is, I guess, what the potential that it could rise higher and close even further than that. And there are some other drivers in there that could be behind that story. Yes, yeah, so the base case is for a soft landing, so the US avoiding a recession, inflation coming down. It might be a little bumpy on the way down, and there'll be some times when people start to fear that maybe inflation isn't coming all the way down to 2%, but we think that generally it will head down to 2% by the end of the year, and the Fed will be cutting interest rates during this year alongside their peers in the UK and in the Eurozone. So we think that soft landing is our base case from an economic point of view. The market has pretty much already priced that in now, given the very sharp rally that we've seen. So, you know, we're not looking for as much upside for equities from here this year. And some period of consolidation shouldn't come as a surprise after such a big rally that we've seen in equity markets. But there is, of course, upside possibilities and the market could continue to rally further. And the key drivers of that could either be if inflation starts surprising even further to the downside and people become more optimistic that the Fed can cut interest rates faster or further than is currently priced in. The other big driver, as I've mentioned, is is artificial intelligence. And this is a huge multi-year trend where we're expecting to see very significant profits growth for some of these big tech companies. Um, Now, the market, of course, could get excited about this and start to price in some of those gains even more in advance. And then that could also drive further upside for markets. So either evidence of this Goldilocks scenario or this AI fireworks scenario could lead to more upside for equities. But our base case is that we'll see perhaps modest upside, but not a great deal from here, given the strength of the rally so far. And Kieran, let me ask you a little bit about more modestly sized companies stateside, because I guess with that caution around the timing of Fed cuts, for example, it's probably fair to say that those smaller players have been the losers, if you like. But I gather the thinking is that this may only be a temporary setback. And actually, there's a confidence about those sorts of players outperforming in 2024. Yes, and it's a good observation, because when we look at an index like the S&P 500, what you see at the index level masks an awful lot of things that are happening underneath the index level. And what we've seen so far this year, and also through much of 2023 as well, is really strong performance from the biggest tech companies, but actually quite weak performance from the smaller companies. And even so far this year, they're down, despite the fact that the index is up and breaking new 
records. Now, what's been behind their weak performance has been a combination of worries about higher interest rates and the impact that that could have on those small businesses. A lot of them have floating rate debt, which means that when interest rates rise, they immediately have to pay higher debt burdens. Um, and also some worries lingering about whether the US will indeed enter a recession. Now, we think looking forward, after a period of poor performance, these are now very cheaply valued. They're trading on close to historic discounts to the large caps. And they should be benefiting if interest rates do start to come down. That floating rate debt, which is currently a burden, will become much less of a burden if interest rates start to fall. And as we get more confirmation that the US is indeed likely to avoid a recession, we think that, that will also lead to more optimism about the kind of revenues that these companies can generate. So we think it's important to keep that exposure to and those large cap and those technology winners, but complement that with some exposure to these small caps, which we think have got some strong return potential in the months ahead, in particular if we head towards that soft landing scenario. Now, Kieran, I've got to ask you about, well, not only the elephant in the room, I guess the elephant and the donkey in the room. I'm talking, of course, about November's general election stateside. And whilst it's very difficult to try and talk about potential political volatility, we know how difficult it is to price in that kind of jeopardy. Nevertheless, investors are thinking about navigating a huge US election year, a potential rematch, of course. If we look at that, how does that shape this space? Because we've got so many unanswered questions and unanswerable questions, Trump's ongoing legal travails and all the rest of it. Is it actually helpful maybe to look back at what history tells us about the degree to which a general election outcome actually doesn't change the direction of travel? How do you make sense of this when clients and your colleagues are discussing it? Yes, and we always say that you should vote at the ballot box and not with your portfolio, because as well as the fact that in the bigger picture, elections tend not to have such a huge impact on equity markets relative to other economic factors, but also the fact that often we find that optimism about the economy and the stock market is quite heavily linked to whether an investor agrees with the policies of the president. Now, of course, that doesn't really correlate with whether those policies may actually have a positive impact, but the fact that investors too often vote for their portfolios can lead to some suboptimal outcomes. So as a general rule, we say that investors should vote with a ballot box and not with their portfolios. Now that said, we do know that this election is likely to be quite consequential. We do have two candidates with quite different views on a wide variety of issues, including the economy. And we saw that back in 2016, when President Trump was elected in that surprise win relative to Hillary Clinton, we did see quite a sharp rally for equity markets and quite a sharp sell-off in bond markets due to some of the president's policies on reducing corporate taxes and increasing the deficit. Now, what we could see this time is some concern about the size of the deficit, if indeed Donald Trump wishes to cut taxes again or implement similar policies going forward. So I think that's going to be a big focus around deficit spending. And then for the equity market, it's really going to be then about balancing up the whole variety of issues which are at play here between geopolitics, tax rates, the potential for earnings growth, the potential for stimulus in the economy. I mean, all of those things coming together will really influence the equity market. But this stage before we've seen much clarity on their exact policy platforms, or of course, the composition of Congress, we wouldn't advise that people take particularly strong market views based on what might happen in the election. 
Against the backdrop you've described there, nevertheless, one imagines some investors may want to think a little bit defensively in terms of some strategy. And it's an important time to underscore the importance, as we often do, of having a balance to one's portfolio, to having a well-diversified portfolio. But I guess there must be some specific hedges to think about, some defensive strategies. Is it looking at specifics? We talk about gold often, you know, as a kind of refuge at these sorts of times to think about if we're trying to look at what a, a more defensive strategy might look like. We certainly think that it's a bit of both. Diversification is the first defense that investors should have against volatility because that really helps reduce exposure to lots of specific risks. But we think that for some of the issues that we're facing today, whether it's around economic uncertainty or geopolitical risk, then it is worth looking and considering some specific hedges. So right now, it's relatively cheap to insure against equity market declines because the price of insurance is quite low, optimism is high, and that tends to make the price of insurance low. So that's something we're certainly discussing with a lot of investors. And then for geopolitical risk, then an asset like gold, we think, uh, is quite interesting here, especially with the Fed uh, looking at cutting interest rates, then that tends to also be positive for gold. So we think that's a good asset to have in portfolios for investors who are worried about potential escalations in geopolitics that we have and the uh, wars taking place, of course, in Eastern Europe and the Middle East. So we think those are interesting areas to look at. And then also alternative assets like hedge funds. Of course, if we do see inflation proving a bit more sticky, then you could see both equity markets and bond markets moving down together. And in that environment, then you want to have some exposure to something which is a bit less correlated. We think in that regard, macro hedge funds are an interesting addition to portfolios. So they're really a combination of diversification, but also implementation of some of these specific hedges, and we think can help investors navigate the current environment. That's Kieran Ganesh bringing us to the end of this edition of the programme. You can listen again and explore more at monocle.com. That's where you can join the club and subscribe to Monocle magazine. You can also follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. As always, you can discover more and find out how UBS can help you by visiting ubs.com. This is The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle Radio. I'm Tom Edwards. Thanks for listening. <laughs>